Well, it's great to be here. Basically, I want to accomplish three things in the chapel service today. One, I want to get you, get you to know me a little bit better and some of our athletes and how we perceive our role here at the Masters College. And two, I want to, you to see how winning and athletics fits into the whole picture of bringing glory to God. And three, I want to challenge you to see what an important part you play and just how you fit in to this whole situation. As you know, I came new to the Masters College here right at the end of the summer. I started working here in late August, and I only knew one person when I came here for a job interview. Stepping into the athletic director's position and head basketball position two weeks before the start of classes, I felt a little bit like Winston Churchill and Lady Astor when they were having an argument. Lady Astor said, if I was married to you, Winston, I would uh, put arsenic in your drink. And Winston said, Lady Astor, if I was married to you, I'd drink it. And, uh, but the students and the faculty and staff have just been so kind to me since I've been here and made me feel at home. I feel as though I'm, I'm really joining a second family. You know, I've been involved in athletics all my life. Um, and I know the word commitment. Uh, commitment to hard work, uh, commitment to practices, commitment to sacrificing for a team, and commitment to giving up things that I otherwise might like to do uh, just so that I could be part of that team. Uh, but the greatest commitment in my life came in 1973. I was coaching basketball at Santa Ana Junior College when a young man on my team became ill and after brushing his teeth following uh, the basketball season, he, he was bleeding and he went to see the doctor and the doctor diagnosed him as having leukemia. Uh, he was a great young man. He, he was, had a real sweet spirit. He was just a wonderful person. And I spent a number of weeks visiting at the hospital and I saw something very special and unique in his life. I really didn't know what it was, but uh, he told me he had a special joy and, and a special peace. He would thank me for coming and seeing him and I, and I went every day. And finally, two months later, he passed away and went to be with the Lord. And during that time, he shared Christ with me. But I still hadn't made a commitment. And I went back to my office and I turned out the lights and I spent several hours on my knees before the Lord. I asked him to forgive me of my sins and I dedicated my life to him. And my life began to change. God was faithful to me. From that day on, my desire to learn more about him led me into reading the Bible. And you know, things happened when I started reading the Bible for the first time. It became alive to me. Prior to that, I'd been reading it and it didn't make a lot of sense, but it became alive. It was the Holy Spirit working in my life and I began to understand God's promises for me and his sacrifices for me and how faithful he was. I began to pray regularly and God heard my prayers and answered them. He didn't always answer them in the way that I wanted him to, but he answered them. And he always didn't answer them in the time frame that I hoped he would, but he was faithful there too. Shortly thereafter, a young man who worked in discipling Christian coaches for Campus Crusade for Christ came to see me and discipled me on a weekly basis. 
Soon after, my wife and I joined Campus Crusade for Christ. I became the athletic director and the USA basketball team head coach. And for the first time, I had fellowship with other Christians. I had the opportunity during this time, this five-year period, to share Christ with many people. I traveled all over the world, and I coached a great group of young men who were really committed to our Lord. After leaving Athletes in Action, I spent the next 12 years in Northern California coaching at Division One and Division Three colleges. During this period of time, my children grew up, and I had a great desire to get back into a Christian environment. Coming back to Masters was an answer to my prayers. To be back in a Christian environment, what a privilege. And I, and I would say to you, don't ever take it for granted. After you've been out in the secular world, after being a Christian and gone into the secular world for a while, it's so wonderful to be sitting at lunch and be able to share and talk about Christ and talk about your relationship with Him uh, and just have that kind of a conversation. And so coming back to that was great for me. Here at the Master's College, we are committed in our athletic program to do everything we can to extend the kingdom of God. And we have a little slideshow to, show, uh, to share with you. Uh, this was taken during our missions uh, week. Our basketball team was out a couple of days. One, one day they went to the children's hospital in the wing for the badly burned youth in Los Angeles, and it was kind of a traumatic experience for a lot of them. And another evening we went and put on a clinic in Palmdale, and the slides we have are from that clinic. Uh, many other athletes uh, went out during that week and shared as well. But I'd just like to take a couple minutes and show you uh, this slide presentation uh, that we have. We attended a clinic in Palmdale of about 75 young people, basic uh, elementary and junior high school students. Uh, the clinic format was arranged by students here at the Master's College. They had gotten together with a pastor over there and they set up the, uh, the format for this and we were just part of the clinic. Uh, our players were divided into teaching groups with a number of young people in each group. Uh, we introduced and involved them in developing their individual basketball skills such as defense, shooting, dribbling, passing, and so forth. And uh, we'd spent about 10 minutes at each location. It was an opportunity for them not only to learn some basketball skills, but, but more important, to get to know our players individually. And our, and our, and our guys were just absolutely terrific uh, with the young people. Uh, we concluded with a slam dunk competition, which ended uh, a little bit prematurely when James Mosley uh, brought the house down by shattering the backboard and the, and the rim. I don't know where James is up there. James, at 6'3", you're not supposed to be smashing backboards, you know. But uh, James is quite a basketball player, and I think you're going to look forward to and a wonderful young man. You'll look forward to seeing him play this year. Uh, Andy Thompson uh, concluded the evening with a gospel presentation and did a tremendous job on, on it, in which a number of young people prayed and expressed the desire to know more about our Lord. Our players remained afterward for some time, answering questions and sharing with the young people. All in all, it was just a great evening and uh, a great experience. We, we see that as a major role here at the college. But how does winning and competition fit into the total picture? I learned firsthand that uh, winning 
has a far different meaning in the secular world. When I was coaching a Division I program, I had just uh, returned from winning a conference championship in 1979. It was the first conference championship that that school had won since 1961. We had just beaten our biggest rival, who was a nationally ranked team, and the place was alive with students, faculty, and friends cheering the bus as we arrived back to campus. The president was there to greet me and said, congratulations. Uh, we really like you and the great job you have done. I said, well, would you like me just as much if we'd have lost? He said, Bill, I'd like you just as much, but we'd miss you. And uh, I found out how all-important winning was. Don't get me wrong, winning is important. It's a real goal. But God sees it a lot differently. Wins are so much more meaningful when your goal is to glorify Christ. Colossians 3, 24 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. He calls on our Christian athletes to do our best and leave the results to Him. Winning is the total release of all that you are toward His purpose in any given situation. When we are in His service, as we are here at the Master's College, our testimony is not only in our effort, but it's in our walk. I really believe and have been impressed with not only the quality of our athletes, but more so with their character. We have some truly gifted and remarkable people in our athletic program, young men and women committed to the Lord and willing to make sacrifices to serve Him through athletics. So that's our athletic role. Then how do you fit into the picture? Last year I went to the NAIA playoff basketball game at Weir College uh, between Westmont and uh, the Masters. My son played basketball at Westmont College. And we were sitting across from the Masters rooting section. And I remember Westmont had a big lead at the half of this game. And uh, the Masters uh, team came out in the second half took the floor and I remember the whole master's rooting section standing up and cheering and uh, going into that master chant and everything <laughs> and and my wife was sitting next to me we we're sitting across from the master's rooting section she says boy that that team school has just unbelievable spirit and what was impressive wasn't the fact that the spirit was so great but the fact when you're down by 20 points and the rooting section is doing that that's impressive and I thought in, in, in my, as the game progressed, Masters made a tremendous comeback and almost won the basketball game. And I thought a lot had to do with the, with the fans pushing the players and the players picking up the tempo and the whole thing. And I went away very impressed with the unity and the spirit of the student body. And I haven't been uh, disappointed since I've been here. I've gone to soccer games and volleyball matches and I've seen that same spirit. And I think that in itself is a great testimony. I think the athletes' testimony and walk is important and their enthusiasm on the court, but I also think that same support and enthusiasm that you see from the crowd is a testimony in itself. And today, in this world, with the kind of message, the special message that we have, I think that needs to be heard more than ever before. I would like to take just a few minutes and introduce some of these young men and women to you in our athletic program. Um, you see them on the field and you see them in, on the courts and so forth, but 
I'd like for you to see them today in just a little different light as fellow students. And I think that we have some very special people. And I'd like to begin by introducing three of them. First of all, um, I would like uh, Amanda DeRyder, who's a senior, a women's soccer and basketball player from Michigan, is going to sing for you. And then Spencer Irwin, a freshman soccer player and a starter from Massachusetts, is going to give a short testimony. And then Lisa Brown, a senior volleyball player from Hammett, California, is going to talk to you and share with you for just a few minutes. So I'd like those people to come forward. Thank you. Morning. Wow. Okay. I'd like to uh, give you guys just a few words of encouragement, a few words of testimony, and a few words of challenge, uh, if you'd hear me. Uh, first, encouragement. Um, you guys might wonder, I'm from Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, great place. And uh, you guys might wonder why I came all the way out here from Massachusetts to come to school out in California. Uh, yeah, I like the school. I visited the school. I really like the school. I I like the soccer team. I like playing soccer out here. Good soccer. The guys on the team were great. Coach was great. But the thing that really drew me to the school, the first thing that I noticed when I came out here to visit, uh, was you guys, the students. And uh, you know, the first time I came out to visit, you know, just walking down the sidewalk, and people who I had no clue who they were, you know, walking by them, and they just stop. They say hi. Or they'd stop and say, hey, I don't think I recognize you. You know, my name is so-and-so, and they'd introduce themselves. And, I mean, that just struck me as, I, I just, you know, I don't know if I'm just not used to that, coming from Massachusetts or whatever. It's just, uh, I don't know, the people just aren't like that. I don't know. I have a theory. Maybe it's like something to do with the weather or whatever it is out here. <laughs> Got me. But, um, you know, if you guys warm in the sun all the time, it just transfers over to you guys being warm and friendly. But uh, whatever it is, Keep it up because, uh, you know, you don't know what kind of role it will have in other people's lives and having them come out here. And second challenge, if I could just uh, read a short portion of scripture to you, found in Luke 14, verses 26 to 28. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to, to see if he has enough to complete it? And that's something that the Lord has laid on my life recently, uh, the idea of counting the cost of salvation. Um, I was saved at a very young age, uh, and I'm you know, truly thankful for it. And I grew up in a Christian home, strong Christian parents who happen to be here today, uh, and uh, strong Christian biblical church. And I attended a Christian school for, you know, my whole schooling. And, um, you know, and that, that privilege that, that I had uh, to, to be able to do that, uh, you know, I'm thankful for it. But it wasn't until I came out here to Masters and I met a lot of different people and I saw people who came from all kinds of different backgrounds. And I realized that, that uh, you know, that I that you know that people weren't as well off as, as me didn't have the privileges that I have been able to have as far as uh, you, know, you know maybe they have unsaved parents or whatever and that struck me as those were people who really did have to consider the cost of salvation because I've met people who who you know had to come out here to school against maybe their own their parents wishes you know unsaved parents or unsaved loved ones and 
that's just really been a, been a challenge to me. Uh, and that brought to my mind a couple of things. First, to encourage those people who, who, who have had to come out here and maybe in opposition to, to their unsaved parents or to, you know, unsaved loved ones, just to encourage you to, to keep up, to keep up, you know, your strong stand. Because I know it must be difficult um, to face opposition from your own family and friends. But I just encourage you to be strong in that regard. And secondly, for those of us as myself who uh, who have had you know those privileges not to become complacent i know in my own life it's easy to take for granted uh, the things that i have the strong christian heritage that i've been uh, that i've been privileged to, to have and i know it's easy to become become complacent and i you know i challenge you guys against it and then for all of us the challenge of of counting the cost of salvation um, you know i you know um, i don't think i personally believe that that you know, the Christian life isn't one that's meant to be easy. And this is just something the Lord's really laid on my heart the last few weeks. And it says, you know, Second Timothy 3.12, all, all who will live a godly life will suffer persecution. And I have to look at my own life and I think, you know, what, what real persecution have I truly faced? You know, I think of persecution in my life and what has it really been? Maybe it's been, you know, unsaved friends ridiculing me for my stand. But, you know, is that really persecution? Has it really been that hard? You know, I think of persecution, I think of Apostle Paul. You know, that's a person who really suffered persecution and who calculated the cost of, of salvation. Now, I'm not saying that we have to, you know, be beaten or be thrown in jail or be stoned and you know, like Paul was in order to really be a, you know, a godly Christian. But I think, uh, you know, that, that you have to be willing, and that's the key thing, to be willing to, you know, consider the cost, to be willing to, to go against maybe what the world has set up as what is right, maybe what human tradition, you know, might say, maybe what, go against, maybe what common sense might say, and to just truly give your life over and give every aspect of your life over to, to what the, you know, what the Lord has commanded. And I'd like to just close with one verse that's been true in my life in this prayer for me and prayer for you guys. Um, it's already been sung, Second Peter 3.18, says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thanks again. Um, the first thing that came to mind when I was asked to share um, something in my life or my testimony was a situation that, um, or a conversation actually that happened a little over two and a half years when I first came here. Um, it was on the way home after a volleyball match, and um, it's one of the worst matches I can remember. <laughs> Played really bad. Our whole team did. We lost. And I was sitting in the back of a car with um, another girl on the team named Angie Davenport. And she uh, asked me about my walk with Christ and how I was doing. And at that minute, I remember back, my heart just sank. And I knew that I'd been struggling, um, not necessarily with big sin issues or anything like that, but just struggling um, with growth. And I knew that I had... Um, the desire and um, the desire to grow, but nothing was was happening. I didn't I didn't know why. And she explained to me something that I already knew, but um, didn't necessarily take to heart yet. And it just came came real to me at that point. And she told me that if I believe what the Bible says, and if I believe. Um, what it says about Christ and what He did for me and that He suffered and died for me so that I could spend 
eternity with him, then I owe him my life, not just parts of it. And it was at that point that I realized that I had um, just given over to the Lord parts of my life. And I included him in this part or that part or thanked him for this in my life. But I didn't give him my life to do with it what he wanted. And at that point, I think um, it was a huge challenge for me to hand over my life to Christ and put aside my wants and my desires and just totally set aside my own agenda for Him and to give my life completely to Him. And uh, another big thing was that I was, like I said before, I was just including Christ in parts of my life and I realized that I couldn't have Christ in my life. I needed Christ to be my life. And um, she just challenged me to be devoted to Christ in everything I do. And um, the last thing I want to share is just some words from a book that I've been reading and just talks about um, a person that is devoted to God. It says this, Devotion signifies a life given. A devout man is one who lives no longer to his own will or the way and spirit of the world, but to the sole will of God, who considers God in everything, who serves God in everything, who makes all parts of his common life parts of piety by doing everything in the name of God and under such rules as are conformable to his glory. Nothing is excluded. God is at the center of his thoughts. His most ordinary duties are done with an eye to God's glory. We have uh, three other people that are going to share with you, too. First, we have Erica Koss, who's from the uh, women's volleyball and women's basketball program. She's a freshman from North Hollywood. She's going to sing for you. And then Rogeria Soares, who's a junior forward on our men's basketball team from Sao Paulo, Brazil, is going to talk a little bit about his testimony. And then uh, Leo Garascus, uh, who is a freshman basketball player, also from Sao Paulo, Brazil is going to follow him, and I think you'll see how the two kind of tie into each other. Sports could bring me happiness, and also it could be pain. People would know me, and I could help my family. I became an athlete. I dedicated my, my time with practicing and improved my skills. I got a lot of friends. And that happened, the, the, that is always still in here. And my family didn't have a change because of that. So sports wasn't the solution I was looking for. One day, a friend of mine, um, he introduced me to the solution. He said, we got to go to the right person. I didn't know what he was talking about. He was talking about a spiritual guru, a guy who uh, deals with black magic. In Brazil, it's huge. There's um, there's uh, room for um, every kind of religion in Brazil, and black magic is one of them. So I remember I went there and met this guy, and he he was normal. He was a regular person, but uh, like um, an hour later, he wasn't there anymore, and uh, spirit was in him. I mean, uh, demon. He was possessed by a demon. So we started talking, you know, I was face to face with him. 
And he asked, what do you want? I said, well, I want happiness. I want money. I want to have my family change. And, and he, he said, so what do you have? What are you going to give me back? He said, I don't have anything. I'll give him my life. I told him. And then he didn't answer right away. But he stopped. And finally he said, you know what? I cannot touch you because you are from the man above. It was, I was confused. I said, what is he talking about? Man above must be God. So I think I'm in the right place. And I was really hoping that he would help me. And I kept on going there. Uh, doing all the ceremonies, offerings and stuff, crazy things. And nothing had happened. My life, my my heart, my family, they were still the same, the same thing. And I decided to quit not going back there anymore. So that during that time, I moved from the big city, Sao Paulo, to a small city to play basketball. And I had a couple of uh, roommates, they were Christians. One of them was involved with the Athletes in Action. And I remember one day we'd play, we would play against the team, American team, and call Athletes in Action. Uh, and this guy who was involved with the Athletes in Action, he came in, he gave me the four spiritual laws, plan of salvation, explanation. And I started reading that. And as I went through, I started to think about all the things I tried to do to get happiness be a, a happy person and none of them worked and as I as I read that I said a prayer a suggestion prayer and I said a prayer asking God to come in my life and it was it was great because from that time on I knew that God was in my heart because the emptiness was gone and I knew what could bring happiness to my family what could bring hope Jesus Christ. In 1989, I joined, I joined Athletes in Action. I started work with Athletes in Action in a ministry, a sport ministry outreach. And it was great because I saw a lot of people come to the Lord and I couldn't tell them that money, sports, and religion, religion would not bring them uh, happiness. Nothing else. And I knew that God was working my life at that time. And I understood what that demon said the other day about, I cannot touch you. I understood that God was taking care of me. He was like, hey, don't mess with that guy because he's, because <laughs> he's, he belongs to me. And I praise God every time I think about how God um, manifests himself to me. Um, about three years or four years um, ago, a big guy, a big tall guy, went to the basketball camp all his work. And this guy, uh, he received God as saving Lord, and his life began to change. But I'll let you, um, I'll, be, I'll let Leo tell you, tell you guys who this big guy is. When I was eight years old, I started to play basketball in a club team in Brazil. I started playing pretty much because my dad was a player and my brother also. So 
still was uh, following the tradition of the family. Uh, the school wasn't, basketball wasn't the most important thing in my life at that time, uh, neither school. But my friends, uh, they were very important for me, and I always uh, liked to hang out with my teammates and do things together. So one day, one of my teammates, he had a pamphlet about a basketball camp, and uh, we all decided to go together to this camp, with at least national basketball camp. So at the first day of the camp, uh, we had a division of the team, some were intentions, and uh, at that first night, we watched a movie about the life of Jesus. At the first impression, I just said, okay. I had to accept Jesus into my life before I wanted eternal life. So at that night, I accepted Jesus into my life. And then uh, Jesus became uh, the most important thing in my life. And then there was uh, the year I met Rogerio there. And a couple of years after, I during after that, I started to go to Bible studies that Italy International had in Sao Paulo. And uh, a couple of years after, I joined the team uh, of Italy's National. So me and Rogerio became teammates. And then after that, I went to San Diego to uh, be a player in high school. I was an exchange student there. And then now the Lord brought us together again, so we are teammates again. And uh, since then, I, I grew a lot in spiritually. And, uh, God made a lot of difference in my life. I do want to make one comment. I, I, I didn't make this prior to uh, Erica singing, but but uh, Erica wrote that song that she uh, sang for you. I think that's a, really a special song. Uh, I'd like to close today by having a little fun. We'd just like to show you the uh, video from uh, last year that we had on our, on our athletes. And you'll see the athletes and the fans and the whole thing. It takes about two minutes, and uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it.